It's another beautiful day this Tuesday, October 24th, 2023. A pleasure to be with you noon to 2, Monday through Friday, if you can't be with us from noon to 2, and I understand that. You can certainly get us at thegreatvoice.com and our podcast, thegreatvoice.com, individual interviews as well as the whole show. You can listen to the whole show in a podcast, and they edit out a bunch of stuff and make it so that you can listen to the whole thing in like an hour and five minutes or something. It varies, but it's a quick listen, and that way we can still be together, and I appreciate that because I miss you in the morning and elsewhere. So if we can be together here noon to two, that'd be great. Uh, Dave Rieger, ready to go. He's got uh, double or triple duty, as apparently virtually everyone at the radio station but the hosts have two, three, four, six jobs that they're doing. And they're doing it well. We give them uh, a lot of uh, credit and grace for the jobs they're doing. That includes Danielle Mason, who is in for Brian Morton uh, through today. Brian should be back from his uh, vacation. And uh, Rich Luzinski, who appears to be on the air at all times doing uh, traffic and weather. Here we are. A lot going on. Uh, let's start with some good news. The legendary gymnast Mary Lou Retton is home and in recovery mode following the hospitalization for severe pneumonia. We thought at one point she was a goner. So did the family. And we found she didn't have health insurance and we couldn't figure that out. Someone told me, and I have not checked this, someone told me she went through a divorce, she lived in an $8 million house, but as people who've gone through divorce, they can be cash poor. I don't think she wanted to sell the house to get that money. She wanted to live there. But she had no health insurance. Amazing. And the kids uh, did a GoFundMe and raised, Rieger, I, I, I thought I heard they raised like $400,000. Did you hear otherwise? Yeah, they raised a lot of money on that GoFundMe. A lot Mary, of money. Mary Lou Retton's still very popular after all these years. Oh, yeah. Well, she was she was extra special. She did some firsts. She got the all-round uh, gold. Uh, she won five medals during the 1984 Olympic Games. Uh, she made appearances in movies, TV shows, ads. She was on the Wheaties boxes, uh, inducted into the International Gymnastics Hall of Fame in 1997. And I think it would be safe to say she was dubbed, back when it was okay to say these things, she was dubbed America's Sweetheart. So remember, I'm glad Do you remember when it was a big deal to be put on the Wheaties box? Yeah, I remember it was, you know, I that was I, like the that was huge. I loved it. I was I, I was honored and I couldn't believe it uh, when I made it onto the Wheaties box. And then I found out it was uh, made at Cedar Point. So it didn't. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Yeah, we, let's mic Danielle when she laughs, because it's worth hearing that laugh. And and you turn, are turn, sitting turn there going, your, turn your what? mic. You were on the, turn, you turn were on the Wheaties on box. Paul was on the Wheaties box. Let me try that again, Danielle. <laughs> turn your mic I on loved, when you laugh, Danielle. Come on. T- turn it on. I loved it when I was on the Wheaties box. I was so honored. I was so thrilled until I found out it was made at Cedar Point. <laughs> okay, there we go. That's good. You do a good fake uh, laugh. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's, that's, what, that's what that was all about. What in the world is going on if this is all true? Panera Bread had a drink called Charged, I said had, I hope they've taken it off the market now. What is Panera Bread doing with a lemonade 
that had over 390 milligrams of caffeine. That's more than a can of Red Bull and a can of Monster Energy combined. What were they thinking? They were thinking, let's send people to the hospital with heart attacks. Well, that's what they did. And unfortunately, this young lady, 21 years old, Sarah Katz, bought the lemonade from a Panera near the University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, went into cardiac arrest a few hours later and died. Now, she had some kind of a heart condition, but many people do that don't know it. I just don't understand in what meeting somebody said, hey, I know, let's have a supercharged lemonade with more caffeine than all these caffeine drinks that are so popular. Why would they want to get into that? It's Panera Bread, not Panera Buzz. I don't get it. I do not get it. Uh, here's a headline. GOP members open, <laughs> openly saying they're embarrassed by their party right now. Well, I guess they're the last <laughs> to admit it. <laughs> Everyone's embarrassed by the Republican Party right now. And I thought it was just in Michigan. Unfortunately, it's apparently across the country. We are going to hear more, uh, and, and Marie is going to talk to us about the, this is so bizarre, an off-duty pilot trying to turn the engines off. I mean, that is just, you see a picture of him, he looks like a normal person. He's clearly mentally ill or had a breakdown of some sort, some kind of an issue. And this is going to bring back the fact that they don't really test pilots for their mental acuity, and they better start. This, this guy just had a physical a week ago. This story is, is insane. It is insane, and you don't think the rest of us are going to think of that every time we get on an airplane. Gee, I hope the pilot's healthy. No, wait, he was off-duty and you tried to turn the engines off? He was off-duty and got a ride, as pilots wow. often do, in the jump seat in the cockpit. Wow. And all of a sudden, he lunges forward, tries to hit, from what I understand, if I, and Marie will have more, um, like the uh, the engine, like fire extinguishers, I think, that uh, fire suppressant system, which shuts the engines down and sprays them. And he would know, I'm, I'm making this up, but he would know that it probably is a lot harder to start the engine again because of all the stuff that happens with the fire suppressant. At least that's what I, what I heard. Wow. Sad news here. Uh, who here has had a dog at one time or another? I have one right now. I, I had one. Okay. In the past. The oldest dog in the world was a Portuguese canine named Bobby. And I'm sorry to say that after the Guinness Book of World Records said, in fact, Bobby was the world's oldest dog, that apparently was too much for Bobby to take, and Bobby died. Oh, no. At the age of... Anybody? Anybody? Uh, 25. Anything else? Any other guesses? 18. Is that it? 18 is pretty... No, that's not it. That's old for a dog. Yeah, but not not like super old. How's 31 sound? Ooh. Whoa, that's really old. That's like, that's... That, that's like a cat. <laughs> that dog is one year younger than me. <laughs> Man, that would have been hard to take. No huh? wonder he had enough. <laughs> <laughs> he said, wait a minute, I'm... I'm Danielle's age. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> 31. He had great a great life. His owner said he had a very uh, low-key um, 
comfortable life, and I and I hope he did. Um, you know, everyone was saying, uh, that, that President Trump, uh, he's going to get us into war. He got us into no wars at all. And this president and his people who are helping him stand up and make any pronouncements at all, try to get him to open his eyes, he's the war president. We're looking at a, a third war. Have you heard this? We already know about the war in Ukraine. We're a big part of. We're in the Israeli-Arab uh, conflict, picking sides when we, in some cases, uh, I'm against everything the terrorists did, everything, because there's never an excuse for that kind of terrorism. But then the story gets bigger. But now the U.S., here's the headline, the U.S. warns it will defend Philippines. What? That's what we need. Another war to stick our face into. The Philippines? Well, that, that Trump, he's, a guy, he's going to get us at war. Yeah, well, take a look at the facts, folks. And those of you who continue, I, I'm, nobody's listening who continues to support this current president, but anybody who continues to support him, along, I mean, it only took him to have his dog bite 12 Secret Service agents, and those are the only ones we know of, to say what kind of a person he is. That says it all. Anyway, we've got a lot of stories to talk about. I'm fired up! It's a sunny, beautiful Tuesday, October 24th. The Paul W. Smith Show, in focus on WJR. Hey, you got to be kidding me. I mean, Ukraine, the Middle East, the Philippines. Way to go, President Biden. The non-war candidate. Yeah, well, three, I guess. Yeah, but who's counting? Obviously not the supporters of him. We're waiting for, uh, or he, rather, Jared Halpern, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor, more on the Middle East. But I have to, when I announced the the sad death of the Florine Mark, I also added Connie Holzer. And I said I'd have the information as it became available. Connie uh, was uh, spending time in Naples and had been in Novi for years. She passed away unexpectedly on October 9th. In Italy, a place that she called heaven, she had a villa that she was redoing there, and it made her very happy. So I was I was glad she was there and happy. She was born in Toledo, Ohio, and attended DeVilbis High School. And then February 19, 1955, she married Tom Holzer. In 1974, they moved to Michigan and established Tom Holzer Ford. And upon the death of her beloved husband, Tom, in 2006, Connie Holzer ensure the dealership continued to thrive and serve the CEO and dealer principal until its sale in 2022. Family will receive friends on Thursday, October 26th, from 4 to 7 p.m. at A.J. Desmond & Sons Funeral Home, 2600 Crooks Road, Troy. Funeral Mass will be Friday, October 27th at 10 a.m. at St. Hugo of the Hills Stone Chapel on Updike Road in Bloomfield Hills. And, uh, uh, sweetly and amazingly, in lieu of flowers, the family requests that donations be made to our golf tournament, the Paul W. Smith Golf Classic, benefiting Detroit Children's Charities, or to Gesher Human Services, formerly known as JVS. You can get more information, view the obituary, share memories of the great Connie Holzer at ajdesmond.com, ajdesmond.com. Dot com. She was a one-of-a-kind, uh, sweet, yet hard-nosed in business, great business person, and she wrote and starred in all those television commercials that we 
remember seeing her in uh, for a long while. The uh, super fog, which is the most unusual, they're, they're calling for more super fog. This was in New Orleans, and at least seven people were killed yesterday after a super fog of smoke from South Louisiana marsh fires and dense fog mixed in caused multiple massive car crashes involving a total of 158 vehicles. 25 people injured, and the number of fatalities may increase as first responders continue to clear the crash scenes and search for victims, according to the Louisiana State Police. Videos and images of the apocalyptic-type scenes from the aftermath of the wrecks showed a long stretch of mangled and scorched cars on Interstate 55 near New Orleans. Vehicles were crushed, rammed under one another, and some engulfed by flames. You know, we've all been there before. We've been speeding along the expressway, and whether it's rain or snow flurries or what it might be, whatever it could be, we cannot see as well as we should. And yet, from time to time, we have driven too fast. This is where they put that that ticket, if you are lucky enough to get it and save yourself and not crash, too fast for conditions. And so the next time you're in that position, think about this. And might I suggest wherever you're going is not more important than living. And you might want to just get off the highway. And I don't just mean pull off the side because you're as likely to be hit there in a bad snowstorm, rainstorm, fog, whatever, as you would be driving. So I'd just say get off the expressway, go get a cup of coffee and live. I'm going to try to remember that myself. There's no place that I have to be other than my show. And frankly, even that's not worth dying for. So bear that in mind. I wouldn't have known this until I read Karen Dumas in the Detroit News today. Her column on the opinion page, at a time when people fight to remain relevant, those who are most deserving of it struggle for anonymity. For more than 25 years, Ron L. Kagan was CEO of the Detroit Zoological Society. He was a guest on this show often. Always liked him, always admired him for his work. And after helping the zoo navigate the challenges of the pandemic, he quietly retired at the end of 2021. But tonight, and I wish I would have known about this before I have these other plans I've got, tonight they're going to be lauding him. I think that is spectacular. Tonight, those who recognize and respect his valuable contributions to a beloved institution will honor him with a dinner and building dedication, says Karen Dumas. And Ron being Ron, saying, quote, this is awkward, as I believe the donors should be recognized, not me. That is absolute vintage Ron Kagan. But it is those donors, Karen goes on to say, who want the impact of Kagan and his professionalism, passion, and progress at the zoo to be evident for years to come. 
An encounter with Ron Kagan under any circumstances reveals the depths of his commitment to the facility, the community, and every stakeholder. A daunting task for an institution that had minimal sustained investment upon his arrival. You know, uh, Rieger, I'm sure I have his phone number in my, uh, in my, well, I say that before I look, and I have to remind myself, I have an Apple iPhone, and I have downloaded, per their request, each one of their iOS updates, and generally, I lose all kinds of information when I download the iOS update. I assume his phone number is still on my phone. Remind me after the show, let's call him and try to get him on immediately following this uh, dinner tonight. Now, he may not want to because he doesn't like all the attention, but he deserves the attention for everything that he has done. I'm assuming that as I yammer on here that Jared Halpern has not been found. Is that correct, David? Yeah, we have not been able to track him down. So then I'm going to ask you this. What do you think about University of Michigan superstar quarterback J.J. McCarthy for the Heisman? He's right up there, probably top three right now. Um, He's right up there with a couple other uh, quarterbacks. So we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. But, um, you know, uh, all the gambling apps have him as the favorite right now. Oh, wow. The gambling apps. (laughs) Okay. Excellent. Excellent. you know, they're saying, coaches said, the online to be the best quarterback they've ever had, and that's from a quarterback who was pretty good, Jim Harbaugh. But people say, well, what about Tom Brady? They have to remember, Tom Brady did not really come into his own while he was at Michigan as a quarterback. That came a little later, No, yeah, uh, He had a little battle with, a, if you remember, Drew Henson. And where's Drew Henson today? Well, he retired from baseball, played for the Yankees for a little bit. Yeah. yeah, made some good money, I suspect, oh, yeah. he played for the Yankees. I'm sure. All righty. Tom, Br- Very Tom good. Brady did okay. He did oh, okay. Yeah. He, did, he did okay. Tom Brady ended up doing just fine. Uh, Marie Osborne coming up here in just a moment to talk about that off-duty pilot in the jump seat losing his mind and trying to crash the plane. This is so bizarre, you'd have to hear the details to believe it. And so we're about to hear the details with... Marie Osborne here, in focus on WJR. Sunny, beautiful day. Enjoy it. Love having you with us, noon to two, Monday through Friday, in focus. And then anytime you can join us on thegreatvoice.com, thegreatvoice.com for the podcast. It's way easier than I ever would have guessed. And that way we can be together. Well, this is a bizarre story. And uh, thankfully, it doesn't happen very often, but we want to do whatever we can do to make sure it doesn't happen ever again. An off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot remains in police custody after investigators say he tried to shut down the engines mid-flight of an airliner traveling from Washington State to San Francisco. He was an off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot riding in the jump seat in the cockpit. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne says the plane landed safely thanks to the quick thinking and quick acting 
flight crew. Marie, this is one for the record books. It's oh, a bizarre for, one. Yeah, for sure, Paul. This, uh, the pilot in question here is 44-year-old Joseph Emerson. He was riding, as you said, in the jump seat of the flight on Sunday when he suddenly tried to cut off the fuel to the engines. Alaska Airlines officials say that the aircraft's pilot and first officer were able to subdue Emerson, get him out of the cockpit while they asked for emergency landing clearance in Portland. It is common practice in the industry for off-duty pilots to fly in this jump seat of the cockpit to get back to their home base. Emerson is charged with 83 counts of reckless endangerment. He's expected to appear in, uh, appear in court this afternoon. Authorities do not believe this incident was an act of terrorism and might have been the result of a mental health episode. Emerson was heard in the moments prior to the incident saying something similar to I'm not right, and that's based on preliminary information obtained by investigators. Several passengers reported that they were unaware anything was even going wrong until a flight attendant over the loudspeaker on the plane said that it needed to land immediately and that they were not in danger. Another passenger said the pilot later announced that there was a disturbance in the cockpit. Emerson has worked in aviation for two decades, according to Alaska Airlines. Pilots are required to undergo a medical examination where examiners are trained to determine a pilot's mental health fitness to fly every six months to five years. And it depends on their age and what type of aircraft they're cleared to fly. NBC News reports that Emerson got his last medical examination within the last couple of months. And Paul, Emerson today might be facing more federal charges. We'll have to wait and see. Can you imagine when I was following the story that I was pleased that they were charging him with 83 counts of attempted murder, as well they should. Yes. But the bigger story is this. He just had his exam, which is a physical exam. There is no official, at least as far as I just diving into this, you've gone into it deeper, but there is no uh, serious mental health exam. You just said that the person doing the physical exam is Mm -hmm. supposed to try to figure out if they're mentally capable of flying an airplane, which we've just learned doesn't work. And we just, you, you see the guy, you see the picture, and you can't, you don't look at him and go, oh, yeah, that guy's crazy. No, he, he looks just like a 44-year-old pilot. And uh, I don't know what, I don't know what to think about this or what they can do to make sure that every time we get on an airplane, we don't have to sit around going, gee, I hope this guy is, uh, or this gal is uh, mentally stable And you would hope that everybody in the uh, flight deck is mentally stable, right? Right. And and as as I said here, and everything I've been able to read on this, when they do these physical examinations, part of it is that they do look at someone's mental health, but it's not like an in-depth examination. It's not an in-depth thing. It's just they kind of make an assessment, you know, a superficial assessment on someone's uh, mental health status. This uh, There's so much available out there that I'm not uh, terribly familiar with. And one of these things, apparently, there's audio captured by something called LiveATC.net. And on that, you can hear one of the pilots saying, quote, we've got the guy that tried to shut the engines down out of the cockpit. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't sound like he's causing any issue in the back right now. And I think he's subdued. One of the pilots said on the audio captured by LiveATC.net. Then he goes on to say, other than that, 
we want law enforcement as soon as we get on the, on the ground and parked. Absolutely. Five officers, five officers did board the plane immediately. And everything that I've been able to read and see, the passengers were like not aware of what was happening. One person in first class, which is obviously near the cockpit, said that he had his headsets on and he had kind of dozed off. And all this happened right next to him. And he didn't even know that it had happened. You got to salute the crew. Yeah, because trust me. They, they're in kind of a groove when they're flying the plane, and this is the last thing they would have ever expected. Yet they had to process quickly that this pilot was trying to bring the plane down. They, had to, You know, that's just not something they were thinking of. And they had to process quickly, correct any actions that he might have caused or prevent any actions, and then get him out of the cockpit. A pretty uh, extremely well handled by the crew. Absolutely. So what he did was the, the fire suppression system on these planes is um, has a valve inside, has a valve for each engine. And if those handles are pulled or deployed, uh, the valve on the wing closes the to shut the off fuel. the fuel in the yeah. engine. So that's right. what he was trying to do. M- more complicated explanation, but that's what he actually tried to do. And they stopped him. Thank God. All right. Thanks for the story, Marie. We You're appreciate welcome. it. Marie Osborne, WJR Senior News Analyst, Anchor Reporter Extraordinaire, here in Focus on WJR. Hey, let's do this now. Be caller 9 at 1-800-859-0957, 1-800-859-0WJR. Caller 9 wins a pair of tickets to see a performance of Annie playing the Fox Theater May 3rd through the 5th, 2024. For a bonus chance to win, text keyword Annie to 800-859-0957. 800-859-0957. Text the keyword Annie. Official rules at WJR.com. Well, you know, Annie's just a great one. Holding on to hope when times are tough can take an awful lot of determination, and sometimes an awful lot of determination comes in a surprisingly small package, Little Orphan Annie. That's right, Little Orphan Annie is the uh, the wonderful star of Annie, if you will, uh, reminding generations of theatergoers the sunshine is always right around the corner. It's a sunny, beautiful day today, in fact. Now the best-loved musical of all time is set to return in a new production, but just as you remember it, and just when we need it most to remind each other that the sun will come up tomorrow. Tickets are available for purchase at 313presents.com and Ticketmaster. Ninth caller now at 1-800-859-0WJR. Happy to welcome back to the Paul W. Smith Focus program, Brianna Noble, who has been following, uh, covering the auto and business uh, of the auto business as a writer for the Detroit News on the very latest uh, strike information. And the sub-headline says, with the latest strike, UAW pushes toward twin goals, rich contracts, and higher membership. I'd like to hear the rest of the story from you, Brianna Noble. Welcome back. Hi, Paul. Thanks for so much for having me. Yeah, it has not been a dull moment covering the United Auto Workers' unprecedented simultaneous strike against the Detroit 
three these past two days. Yesterday, the UAW sent workers almost 7,000 at Sterling Heights Assembly Plant, which builds the Ram 1500 pickup truck, out to the picket lines, um, expressing disappointment over Stellantis being behind its crosstown rivals when it comes to what it is offering at the table. And then today, this morning, the union sent out General Motors workers at their plant at Arlington in Arlington, Texas, that plant produces the full-size SUVs. So now at all three companies, the largest, most profitable plants in the United States are are, are on strike. Yeah, you know, uh, this is a very dangerous time. He's going to be either wildly successful or fail wildly. And frankly, it's now up to the big three to either put up more money if they've got it, which they keep doing, or say, this is it. Enough is enough. This is where we stop and go from there. I just point out to all of them that Edmonds, a company uh, that you know well, Brianna Noble, from the Detroit News, Edmonds just did a story in, in your newspaper about the top five SUVs that you should buy, especially if you're on a budget, and we all are, thanks to the current situation in our country. And there were five fabulous vehicles. Not one of them was made by our big three. Not one of them. And I would say to the auto workers, you might want to get used to that. Because if you price yourself out of the business, the thing that we've taken for granted for generations, the auto business here in Detroit, the auto capital of the world, will not be. And that's a fact. That's not a threat. That's an observation. There's competition out there like never before. So you can get what you can for the next three years, four years, and maybe be out of a job. I don't know. I, I, Brianna, I think that's what seems to be most important to people right now. You know, I think uh, in terms of what we're hearing from workers on the, the picket lines, you know, they feel like they have fallen behind from um, where they, they stood before recession, before bankruptcy, even Four years ago, especially as we've seen inflation rising over the past few years. And so they're demanding um, high contracts. The union says that they think that that the automakers can um, put forth more, even as we're seeing indications from the companies that they are are stretching it as is. Um, At this point, we're still seeing the automakers bring forth new contracts. So we will see where this goes. Obviously, with the new strikes, we're seeing an amp up amping up of of pressure um, on the companies because of these major plants. And the union has been very clear that it is not just looking to bargain here with the Detroit Three. Its ultimate goal is to get a strong enough deal that they can take it to foreign automakers and EV makers to be able to organize their workers as well. Yeah, well, and, and as you write in today's uh, Detroit News, uh, I must say, Brianna Noble, that the the strike's ripple effect continues to grow, and you wrote a bit about that. Yes, that's correct. Uh, you know, as a result of these plants being on strike, it has huge impacts for the multiplier effect of jobs at suppliers and even other uh, plants that are owned by General Motors, Stellantis, and Ford. Increasingly so, they're having to lay off their workers um, as a result of these assembly plants uh, going on, on strike. Um, so it has greater economic impacts that, you know, estimates out there are putting out in the 
in the billions of dollars in the U.S. economy. And today, from General Motors' quarterly earnings, we saw we see that uh, it has already cost the company $800 million. Well, it's going to be uh, fascinating to follow and how this all ends up. I just uh, I don't even want to think about the unthinkable, but the very real possibility of the auto industry in Detroit uh, not being able to keep up with the competitors, hence the uh, five SUVs, not even mentioning one of the American make manufacturers. Uh, and that's going to be happening a lot of places. The people that are happiest about this are all of the competitors of the big three. And uh, Sean Fain says, well, we're not fighting them because they're our future members. Well, we'll see. He may be right. He may be wrong. Big losses if he is. Well, frankly, big losses either way. Brianna Noble, thanks much for your help. We appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too, Brianna Noble, auto and business writer for the Detroit News with and her secondary headline with the latest strike, UAW pushes toward win twin goals, rich contracts and higher membership. And maybe the end of the industry the way we know it in these United States. We'll see. We will watch, and we will all be affected. And listen, and we appreciate you coming to talk and listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week on this great voice of the Great Lakes. In fact, if you can't be with us noon to 2 live for Focus, you can join us on thegreatvoice.com. The podcasts are available, and they're very easy to download and listen to. In fact, you can press a button, and it'll do it automatically for you. TheGreatVoice.com. I hope you can join us there, if not from noon to 2. David Sowerby coming up, Managing Director, Portfolio Manager of Ancora. This is uh, from uh, uh, Dave. I sent you a picture. Uh, oh, Dave is not there right now, did you say? Oh, oh, oh. He's, you see, he's got so many duties. Uh, producing our show is just one of them, so he's off doing another one of his duties. Anyway, I sent him a picture of a story, and I can't remember if it was the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, but it was talking about how the traditional way of investing isn't working anymore. So we will we'll get to that and talk about that and get the opinion of someone that I highly regard, David Sowerby, Managing Director, Portfolio Manager of Ancora. That coming up. A little more on the auto strike as the UAW ordered 6,800 workers to strike the massive Ram truck facility yesterday, the union said it launched the new strike because Stellantis, which makes vehicles under the Dodge Ram, Jeep, and Chrysler brands, has, quote, the worst proposal on the table, end of quote, for improving workers' pay and benefits. Uh, let's see. Located about a half hour north of Detroit, the plant produces the Ram 1500 pickup and is the company's biggest moneymaker, the UAW said in a statement yesterday. This is from a, another news service. They say there are now more than 40,000 UAW members on strike as they enter the sixth week, with 14,600 now on strike at Stellantis, joining the 16,600 on strike at Ford, and 9,200 on strike at GM. So that's uh, the very latest that we have, the way the rest of the world is looking at what's happening in Detroit and in the auto industry around the country uh, with UAW workers. We'll see how it all ends up. 
We had good news earlier about Mary Lou Retton, home now. We thought we were going to lose her to that pneumonia. But she is home recovering. Did you hear this story? Dwayne The Rock Johnson wants his wax figure improved at a Paris wax museum. Now, wait, before you say, geez, that's a kind of a strong ego. I mean, I've looked at those, like at Madame Tussaud and other wax museums, and a lot of times they don't really look very much like the person. Some of them do. Some of them look very much like the person they're supposed to be, but some of them don't. And to have a guy come in and say, well, I want you to change my my wax uh, self. But interestingly enough, The Rock is uh, is complaining first off starting with the skin complexion of the wax figure of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Interesting. There, I have no further detail other than he points out that's not his skin color. Fascinating. I, you know, he has an unusual skin color, and maybe it's hard for them to, uh, to make. I don't know. I'm not familiar with which... Uh, Paris Wax Museum there is, frankly. The CDC is recommending that everyone age six months and older get a seasonal flu vaccine each year, but fewer than half of Americans get vaccinated. To boost the nation's uptake, the agency is reviewing a nasal spray flu vaccine that can be self-administered. I don't know if Dave Rigger is back, but Danielle, would you do a nasal spray flu vaccine? Um, uh, maybe. I would do, you... do Navage. That's for sure. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I'm guess I'm going to change my tune to yes. Okay, you have to do Navage because you sit there and hear the commercial so many times. Even if you didn't want to do it, you'd by now have to do it. it yeah, uh, it is I an am, intriguing. I am commercial. back, and yes, I would also do that for sure. Yes. All right. Well. Okay. There were a few other things I needed to ask you, but now I can't even remember what they were, so it doesn't much matter. I'm thinking that a lot of people, unfortunately, are not getting the flu vaccine because of the the fact that we've gone through so much with the COVID. And I hear a commercial on our air, uh, I, with all due respect, a promo commercial that says, it seems like COVID is everywhere. Does it seem like COVID is everywhere to you? Mr. Rieger? I think it is everywhere. I just think that we know more about it. I don't think that we are as concerned or obsessed with it as we were. I don't think it's everywhere. What about you, Danielle? No, I don't think it's everywhere. I do not believe COVID is everywhere. I remember when COVID was everywhere, or at least we really believed COVID was everywhere, and we did our shows from home for two years. Um, but I don't. it doesn't appear that we're anywhere close to that, but maybe we are. And maybe, as you say, Rieger, we're just so used to it that we just go, okay, well, all right. Yeah, COVID. I think, I think that it's, um, you know, I think now that we know more about it, I think that it is not as um, a, uh, a hot topic as it was, I guess. It's just like part of life now. Kind well, of, like, it, kind of it, like the flu. Yeah, kind of like the flu, except people are... are I think people were embracing the flu more than than they are embracing COVID vaccinations now. I, I, I'm just saying that there's well, so can, much. You can get them both at the same time. And look at the, the, the football player. What's his name? Travis, Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, yes. Kelsey gets the uh, does a commercial 
and it shows him getting both shots, and he's under tremendous fire from some people, including other football players who don't believe in the vaccine and lied about it. What's the guy's name that was with the Packers? And I like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. He caused all kinds of trouble by lying, saying he got <laughs> vaccinated, and he didn't. And yeah. so now he's attacking he just Kelsey. Said he, he, said, he used a different term. He said that he was, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, he, right, was, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was uh, naturally immunized yeah. because he had it or something. Oh, it's yeah. such baloney and cheese. Yeah. If you're going to take a stand, take a stand and stand by it. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't have a stand. I don't. I can't tell people not to get the shot, and I can't tell people to get the shot. I tell people to talk to their doctor. And in this stack of stuff on my desk, there's a story about what you should check out about yourself before you get the next COVID booster. I don't have it in front of me, but look into it. This is something, the things that we used to take for granted and just did because we were told to do, we can't do it anymore, sadly. Did you happen to see this headline in the USA Today uh, that says Trump is a jerk, nobody likes him, but there are three reasons why New Hampshire voters are sticking with him? No, I did not. Is that today's USA Today? Yeah. I have that. Where was that? It was in the uh, in the business in the uh, business section. All right, this uh, on the front page, it says Biden and Trump locked in a tie. Yeah. This was a uh, this is interesting. So they're 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 ripping on him, but yet they're going to vote for him. Well, again, um, he has brought a lot of this upon himself with his personality. But it's really hard to deny that his performance, his performance was better than Biden's, period. You may hate the guy, but we weren't at war with anyone, and we're about to get into our third war to help support the Philippines. Third war, Biden war. Really? And no one is talking about that. Hmm. I still can't believe people supported a man who'd let his dog bite 12 people that we know about, and worse than just biting 12 people, bit 12 people who were paid to save and protect this man's life. And that's the kind of disrespect. That's almost rising to the the disrespect that Hillary Rodham Clinton showed her Secret Service workers. I get this right from the families, folks. She treated them like they were her porters. I said, get that damn bag. She treated them, well, poorly. Not a surprise, because that's the real Hillary Rodham Clinton. Completely different from Bill Clinton. She learned nothing from her relationship with her husband. Oh, I have a good line, but I'm not going to use it. We continue in focus on WJR. Well, you know, we're going to talk about this headline from the, uh, this was the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, The Exchange. I love the Wall Street Journal. Anyway, over the weekend, The Exchange section. But the headline shook me to the core. Uh, Your investment strategy is broken. How they get my investment strategy and why are they talking to me in a headline? In the Well, anyway, I guess they mean for all of us. Our investment strategy we've been living by, if we've been lucky enough to save anything, is broken. Prices of stocks and bonds tend to move in opposite directions. Investors who rely on a mix of both to make money in good and bad economic conditions may need to rethink their portfolios when the assets move in tandem. Now, look, if you were thinking of making money like Mattress Mac, 
Jim Mattress Mack, the guy who has pocketed record-setting sports betting wins on his Houston Astros. Well, yesterday, the effort to cash out huge two years in a row came to an end. This is not a way to invest your money. The Texas Rangers rolled over the Houston Astros 11-4 to in Game 7 of the American League Championship Series, advancing to the World Series, and in doing so, this cost Mattress Mac $8 million. $8 million with his bets that he lost this time. You know, he's won before, but now he has lost. And I'm sure it's not his first loss. I mean, there's there's a reason we have these places called casinos. Because, yes, people do win, but then they do keep playing until they lose oftentimes. That's why they can exist. So gambling is not the answer. The trusted 60-40 investing strategy just had its worst year in generations. Highest interest or higher interest rates and inflation upending millions of Americans' retirement planning. Wall Street's boilerplate mix of stocks and bonds isn't cutting it anymore. Now, we've been warned about that by Chris Alberta, who is filling in for Chris Renwick again in less than an hour for JR Afternoons. And I do hope that that, that Chris will address this, because he's been addressing it in our commercials now for quite some time. What's that? Uh, I'm sorry, someone just spoke to me. Yes, if we don't have, uh, if for some reason or another not connecting with David Sarby, let's get Chris here. Are you on the air right now or just talking in my headphones? Okay, so he is here. Uh, Chris uh, is here. He's going to get in front of the microphone. We are catching him off guard. So just so you know, Chris, they offered you. <laughs> I didn't just grab you. They said you were here and you could talk, so I don't know if you heard you know, what I just said. Paul, I was in the studio, and with David not posting up on time, here I am. Let's, so that is the modern portfolio theory dilemma you're talking about, the old-fashioned 60-40 blend just not working. It isn't working, and you warned us about this, not to do things the old Wall Street way. Yeah. And a, here it is, proof, front page of this weekend's exchange section of the Wall Street Journal. Your investment strategy is broken. So what should we be doing, Chris? Well, that really depends on the horizon, as we always call it, the horizon of the people, how many years they really have. But in the old, you know, in the old, when I came up in the business 20 odd years ago, everything moved towards bond or what we call debt securities, which when you own a bond, you're lending to the company. You don't own a stock. You're being the lender. Well, with an inverse relationship between interest rates and bonds and bond values, as these interest rates now have gone way, way, way up, of course, that's post-08, now when Obama, for example, had to really suppress everything to get the economy back on track, they were artificially suppressing those rates. So now as they've come back up, bond values and bond long-term yield has come down. So if you take, you know, 60% of your portfolio and put it in stocks, even if that goes up, and 40% and put it in bonds while they're going down, what's really happening? It's like you're turning on the hot water and the cold water at the same time, and the, the net result is very muted. It's a very lukewarm effect. It's not really up. It's not really down. It's just you like the lunch meat stuck between two pieces of bread. <laughs> you know, it's hard as a, as a retiree, especially who's withdrawing money from your account, 
to consistently withdraw 4 or 5% of your total balance every year if the portfolio doesn't really stand a chance of making 4 or 5-6%, especially net of fees and charges and things that you're inherently going to pay. So it is a very antiquated model to a large degree, and you almost have to pick one side, cross your fingers, and hope that that works out. The uh, Wall Street Journal went on to say that the the uh, the tried and true, they called it, 60-40 portfolio, lost 17% last year. Yeah. It's worst performance since at least 1937. Mm-hmm. So obviously we need to do other things. And I know you can't solve this for all of us because it really matters on an individual basis, which is why we always tell people to call you at Principium to get the help on an individual basis you can get. Across the board, though, I saw another story. Uh, Chris Alberta with us a little early. He'll be filling in uh, for JR Afternoons for Chris Renwick. Um, I'm, I hope David Sowerby is okay. He was our planned guest right now, and I'm glad Chris stepped up because he was here getting ready to do his show. Um, I've been hearing a lot about something I hadn't heard before, people, older people in their 60s, being told to switch from their IRA to a Roth IRA. I don't even know how that works and if everyone can do that. Well, a lot of people can do it. You know, that, that the, the read between the tea leaves here is that the government is very, very broke, $33.8 trillion in debt. What, what essentially is being said is, look, you have all this money. We let you accumulate over all these years, tax deferred. And if you'd like to, Paul, you can take whatever chunk of money you have in an IRA, not in a 401k at this point, but in an IRA, whether it's 100000 or $10 million. And if you want to, you can recharacterize it into a Roth IRA. Now, when you do that, you recharacterize it. You have to pay all that income tax dollar amount that is owed right now. You used to be able to spread it out over two years, not anymore. So, for example, if you took a half a million dollar IRA, converted it in 2023 here right before the end of the year, you'd, in essence, be throwing a half a million dollars of income on top of your normal 1040, and you'd pay tax on that in 2024. The upshot to that would be the fact that Forever and always, so long as you left that money there for at least five years, which most pre-retirees will do anyway at 60-ish, everything that it ever earns will come out tax-free, income tax-free. So if you think about the fact that we're in the third lowest tax bracket in the history of America, while we also have the biggest debt in, in, in ever, a monumental amount of debt, there's almost no chance that tax rates don't go up. So it's certainly something to look into. We About half of our clients, we end up spending a half an hour talking about it. Do we know, can we trust future governments to not rescind this wonderful, seemingly wonderful opportunity? I would say it's certainly a consideration. I don't trust the government for much. That particular one, though, I'll give you some advice off to the side that might change your opinion. Okay. Thanks, Paul. He does, he does work with Kim and I, and thank God for that, and he can work with you, too. Uh, Call him at Principium, for goodness sakes, Chris Alberta, who's coming your way shortly to uh, do uh, the show in for Chris Renwick as we continue on WJR. And we're glad you're here, and we're glad to help, which is something we've done for all 35-plus years. We've been involved with WJR. We, as a radio station, have reached out and helped. And when people reach out to us asking for help, we do whatever we can. And uh, Jeff Latham uh, has been a great member of the community uh, involved in so many wonderful causes, besides being able to help you get into a great new car or truck or SUV or whatever. He's chairman of the Michigan Parkinson Foundation. 
And they've got a big uh, Michigan Parkinson Foundation gala coming up at Henry Ford Museum. All of us, well, not all of us, many of us have been touched by Parkinson. Uh, Kim's beloved stepfather, Ron Kettle, uh, had Parkinson's at the end. And it's it's just a, it is a very, very tough ailment disease. And so I, I salute Jeff Latham, who has been for years working on behalf of finding cures and ways to make people's lives better with the Michigan Parkinson Foundation. Jeff, I'm glad to be able to be here to help and let people know about your event coming up November 3rd. Paul W., we appreciate it as always. Thank you. This is, why don't you, just to get people started in case they're not familiar, talk a little bit about the Michigan Parkinson's Foundation, of which you are now the uh, chairman, uh, and its mission. Uh, Michigan Parkinson Foundation was founded 40 years ago. It's our 40th anniversary. And our mission is uh, is to help the people that have Parkinson's in Michigan. So not only the patients themselves, but the family uh, that, that has to take care of them. Uh, so we do this with uh, community, exercise, education, and respite. So we've got over 70 support groups across the state from the UP and Iron Mountain to Holland on the west side. We're, we're, we cover the whole state. and We've got over 180 volunteers helping us across the state all the time, which always amazes me how many people are doing this for no charge. Uh, exercises with free Zoom exercises offered six days a week. Uh, education, which is a huge thing, not only for the patients themselves, but for, but for the family, uh, for newly diagnosed um, Parkinson's disease. And we have symposium uh, annually and virtual education. And we're also educating the caregivers that are within our uh, uh, late care facilities because taking care of a Parkinson's patient is much different than anyone else. They, the things that you think, uh, like getting frozen uh, in place, all of these things need special care special timing on medications, and that's the sort of support that we give um, to, to the extended care facilities across the state. And, and uh, financial assistance for in-home or out-of-home care for respite care uh, and mobility. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's a wide-ranging thing, but we help the 35,000 people in Michigan with Parkinson's. Well, Jeff Latham, as you've pointed out to me in the past, um, you take 35,000 people, a rough number of people in Michigan living with Parkinson's, you have to triple that uh, because of all of the, the care partners, the family members uh, that are a part of this. And you're looking out for all of them. And so when you have an event like this, that's kind of what you're helping raise the money for. And it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, a, a cocktail hour. Mark Randisi is a great uh, entertainer. We have them every year at our Cars and Cigars event, uh, Mark Randisi. Uh, there'll be hors d'oeuvres. Uh, the wonderful Jamie Edmonds, also a part of the WJR family now in the mornings. Jamie Edmonds will be the MC, And then you have, a, 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 I guess, a, a keynote speaker that maybe you can tell us about that I'm not familiar with. Yes. Uh, so, so Bill Bucklew, uh, is a, he's an adventurer, an athlete, a charitable entrepreneur, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in, in 2012, uh, and uh, he is—he's very, very inspirational. We've—we've uh, we've seen him at other events, but he gives a real-world, uh, a real-world view of what it's like to be a warrior for for Parkinson's while having the disease at the same time. 
Uh, so a younger onset uh, individual, much like my, my father was and, and a fighter. So he's very inspirational. Uh, and the last time that, uh, that I heard him talking, uh, he, he, uh, he put a tear in my eye that was uh, um, of, of, the, of the courage that he shows on a daily basis. It is a fundraiser, $300 per ticket, $75 for people with Parkinson's and $75 for their guest. Um, I think you have some, uh, are the early bird specials or discounts still available? Uh, no, actually, the, the discounts are for those who have Parkinson's and their guests that they want to bring. And it's a I great see. event. Every time that we have them coming in, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a way to get out. And there's a lot of things set up for people with Parkinson's to make it easier for mobility. Uh, obviously, we've got, we've got the people there to help and have a great night for them as well. So you go to a Parkinson, Parkinson SMI, Parkinson'sMI.org, Parkinson'sMI.org. For more information about Parkinson's and about this uh, very important fundraiser at the Henry Ford Museum, November 3rd, and the chairman, Michigan Parkinson Foundation, all-round good guy and a great community member in the Gross Points, Jeff Latham. Jeff, thanks uh, for touching base and letting us know about it. Thanks for all the work you do and have for years on behalf of those with Parkinson's and their family. Paul W., same back at you. We really appreciate you helping us here. It's been my pleasure, my privilege, as we continue on WJR. This is a horrible story. For everyone involved, it is a a horrific story. Uh, For family and friends of Samantha Wall, saying their final goodbyes over the weekend, an emotional funeral service, as you can imagine. In a press conference carried uh, nationwide, Yesterday, Detroit Police Chief James White said investigators believe the crime occurred in Samantha Wall's residence. Chief said apparently Samantha attended a wedding Friday night, returned home from the wedding at about 12.30 in the morning. Police found no signs of forced entry into Wall's residence. And uh, evidence suggests the crime was not motivated by anti-Semitism, which is the first thing that most all of us thought about. I am so thankful that Police Chief James White is taking a moment to join us here on the Paul W. Smith Show. Uh, Had the pleasure of having breakfast seated next to him on uh, Friday for the Goodfellows. And you just never know what's going to happen next, Chief, that's going to get you involved and your people involved in in a horrific situation like this one. Good afternoon, Chief. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. And I, I, I congratulated you and all the officers of the law that were there um, for the the downturn in criminal activity in our area. A lot of work by everybody involved in law enforcement within the sound of my voice. It was a big deal. Little did we know there'd be this horrific murder that would take place. Tell us what the latest information is, and I know you have to be careful about what you say. Very cautious, as you put it, in what you share. Yes, sir. And, and again, thanks for having me. Um, I am very confident in the men and women of the Detroit Police Department, uh, as well as our federal partners um, in Michigan State Police, the FBI, uh, and, and truly the hardest working men and women in the country in the Detroit Police Department, that we're going to be able to bring some closure uh, to the family of Ms. Wall uh, and, and, you know, at least uh, the person – to justice that committed this heinous act. Uh, it's going to take a tremendous amount of time. 
Um, we, we're going to have to uh, make sure that we investigate every aspect of this case. Uh, the officers are working very hard, um, have worked nonstop uh, since we were made aware of this case, uh, and will not stop uh, until we have identified the suspect uh, or the perpetrator uh, in this matter. You said uh, we've got Chief James White, the police chief, Detroit uh, City Police. You said we're working through what we have identified, some persons of interest and very confident on the track we're on. We have a number of people that give us interest. We're just short of calling one of the people a suspect, but we're working to that end, and we will be there. You are not at that end yet to call somebody a suspect? We are not there yet. Um, you know, we have uh, a very uh, complex web of uh, people to talk to and, and, and to speak with and to associate. Uh, and there's so many different things that go into uh, uh, investigating a crime such as this. It's quite complex. Um, each hour of this investigation leads us to investigate another piece uh, of what we know uh, to confirm what we know. Uh, to investigate what we think is possible, uh, and, and, and to certainly conclude uh, with uh, where the evidence takes us, right? And so that's just one piece of a very, very complex process um, because it's identifying the suspect. Um, it's, you know, gathering evidence uh, uh, on the suspect. It's, it's, it's one thing to identify who you believe your suspect to be, but then you have to be able to prove your case uh, so that you can submit a warrant uh, for their arrest. Um, so it's, 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 it's quite the task, but the officers are up for it. Well, and, and from what I can tell, you have to dot your I's, cross your T's and make sure all of that is in order. Cause you don't, with all eyes on you, you don't want to blow this, obviously. I mean, I hate to put it so uh, base. That's a very base approach, but what made you, what can you tell us made you, uh, suggest almost right away, that the crime was not motivated by anti-Semitism. What, what kind of evidence would, would indicate that? Well, each case, each investigation, um, whether you're talking about uh, a case as complex as this one or you're talking about uh, a case of a robbery or B&E or, or home invasion, um, there are certain characteristics that each case follows. Uh, when we initially launched the investigation, you know, we were not going to make that declaration quickly and, 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 and make it without information. Um, you know, we looked at a number of different factors. What were the motivations um, to this heinous act? And, you know, we looked at uh, a number of different things. Is this a hate crime? Um, there are certain things that support that and refute that. There, was this a, a robbery that went wrong? Uh, was this a home invasion? Uh, that went wrong? Uh, did, did she surprise someone uh, that was breaking into the house when she came home? Uh, these are all the things uh, that we looked at, and we were able uh, to conclude with looking at each and every one of those factors, including whether or not this is a hate crime, and certainly in light of what we have going on right now. Um, you know, that was an important uh, evaluation to make, and we just found nothing uh, that supported any of those those, those crime categories that I mentioned, including uh, whether or not this was an anti-Semitic uh, issue, and it, it was not. Um, so that's that's where we are in the investigation. Now, it's early, still in the investigation, and as we go through the course of, of you know, evaluating all of the evidence, recovering even more evidence, discovering 
uh, more evidence, um, you know, if these issues come back up, um, uh, you know, we will certainly look at them and we will certainly be transparent about sure. them. Uh, but it's just not something that we see as a motivating factor uh, in this. Now, as I said yesterday, and, I'm, I'm, and you've said, and I'm going to say it again, there, there are certainly things that I cannot talk about. Sure. Um, there, are, there are factors in this case that are shared only by our investigator and the perpetrator of this crime. And so I cannot um, disclose those because it will damage the investigation. I but I will tell you there are very key, key factors that we are looking at uh, and evidentiary factors that will help us in bringing the person responsible in this case uh, to justice. Good luck to you. Uh, we got, we're, we're out of time, I'm awesome. afraid, Chief. Quick, quick yes or no. You've been pouring over video along the route from the wedding to her house. Have you seen anyone following her? Not yet. Not okay. yet. But if anyone, if anyone has any information, please have them reach out to the Detroit Police Department. Please reach out to the Detroit Police Department. And thank you, Police Chief James White. God bless you and all the men and women you represent. Stand by for news. Chris Alberta in for Chris Renwick. Go on out, make it a great one. Regards, Paul W. Smith.